Damn, you are so low energy today. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I don't know, just the, that's the wave I'm riding right now. <laughs> It's kind of a harder episode to get excited about because like there's not a lot I mean as interesting as and exciting as it would be to be able to read this lady's comics because I did find a couple of them like old pictures of them on newspapers and stuff it doesn't seem like they've really been codified in a way that's easy to get a hold of which is a little disappointing because not I, I would like to yeah I'm a serial reader I want to read them in chronological order and that's not the way newspaper funnies happen anyway but like ah, I really wish I was able to actually read this lady's stuff instead of just reading about this lady definitely she yeah I think finding her stuff would just take more effort and you might even have to just look look like specifically for her characters of note I did a little bit of googling for, for the her. uh like was in the circle format like family circuses you know the mm-hmm. little girl that they made the doll out of and I found some of that. And then I, but the other Patty one, se- yeah, and the other one didn't seem to be as easy to find. I, I googled that one too, but that one was more story based, you know, in the way that strip comics yeah. sometimes are. And I just was like, oh, damn, there's like biographies out there that probably had more of it, but they definitely look like biographies and not like collections of work so it's kind of disappointing whenever that is how like the actual artist's work gets just like washed out by the fact that they were the first such and such of whatever you know what I mean like that it's easier to just find her biography than it is to find her work because I feel like like both are worth saving you know like it's really good to be able to draw attention to it and it's really awesome that they have you know like children's books that came out this year and last year about these people that have done these great things or that started to do these things but it's kind of sad because you wanted to be in conjunction with the actual work that they did because we're celebrating them as artists so I want to celebrate their art too and have access to their art you know like it's just a little disappointing 100% I I think a lot of the uh, so Torchy Brown was in Dixie to Harlem and I think a lot of that's just kind of be collected where the Pittsburgh Courier and Chicago Defender are, and other black press newspapers are collected. Because I've, I've just heard that they, in general, newspaper comics just aren't really collected. I mean, if you think about the ones that you can find, we're talking like Peanuts level, you know? Yeah. Or um, where they put books out, like the author themselves have put books yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like, or, kinda like uh, web comics, like Hyperbole and a Half, like we mm-hmm. covered her book is a little different than mm-hmm. what they actually release weekly. I, I feel like that's kind of, uh, what's it, Calvin and Hobbes. I feel like that's another one that, yes, you know, gets, Dilbert. Yeah. As shitty as Dilbert is. Zitz. Oh my God, I love Zitz. But that probably speaks to my character in a way that's maybe not the greatest. Forever an angsty, shitty teenager. <laughs> it's fine. Um, uh, sometimes you can't move on and don't want to move on, right? Like, can't stop, won't stop, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> so I guess, can't I guess, stop, can't stop. My solution to this is that I, I've kind of looked up the author of the book that I read, who's also an African American woman who should probably be celebrated. And then there's the artist who, who did the whole book series. That is one of them that I read where they like are celebrating black heroes of history, you know, black, black business people, black celebrities, you know, people who have busted through the glass ceilings in whatever field that they're in, you know, and I'm going to use glass ceilings for everything. Yeah. I don't think it's just like a woman's thing. I think it's like a there's a ceiling for people when you come from a marginalized community and people need to keep breaking through those stupid elevator glass things i don't know why but glass ceiling always makes me think of willy wonka in this stupid elevator that oh, goes 100%. whichever yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, i don't know that's just a weird that's how my that's just how my brain works hey i'm probably gonna keep all of that little conversation we just had so maybe we should pause here for a second and let the listeners know what the hell's going on and who we are 100 percent. i think you're right <laughs> uh hi 
I'm your master of mediocrity, Erin. And I'm your lieutenant of literature, Jessica. Did we have a guest star today? Uh, yeah, my nursing daughter, who was probably going to start making noises soon. Oh. In the last episode where your daughter made an appearance, you did comment on how your voice changed every time <laughs> she would coo or yeah. make some unhappy noise. It absolutely does. I can't help myself. I just... Corey called me motherly the other day, and I was like, what the fuck does that mean? And then I was like, I immediately turned to her because she started doing something, and it just was like, are you done, or are you going to just mess with it? And he was like, I mean like that. That's what I mean. You just proved my point. Way to be. (laughs) Whatever. This is another human. Fuck off. Like, (laughs) I would probably do that too to your daughter. Does that make me motherly? No. (laughs) But yeah, so she is she is the ever-present third guest. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to hear her opinion. Can't wait for the occasional babble. And when she is also six years old and could maybe read this book later. Yeah, for sure. Because like, I think as... this book is targeted for six to ten year olds. Yeah, season ten or something will start having her actually weigh in on the children's books that we cover. Oh my god, yes! Like... <laughs> I would kind of love that. <laughs> Need to rein it in. That's future Aaron and Jess problems. Not today. Today we're talking about Jackie Orms in yes. our spotlight episode. Artist spotlight. Whoop, whoop. So I'm hoping I learn you a thing or two that wasn't mentioned in the kids book. But if these things that I'm going to kind of touch on are hit on in the kids book, I am super excited for how kids literature is growing. And changing and what they're being allowed to be published, not punished. Please don't punish people. (laughs) Publish people if you're a publisher. (laughs) Publish. I think publishers do a bit of both, but that's beside the point. Do you think they do like unintentional punishing by intentionally excluding people of different class, race, gender, sexuality, or religion? Yeah, or just not pushing their own perimeters and being uh, cognizant of the fact that they have a limited sphere of interest. Yeah. Probably. (laughs) In T-Way. Anyway. Who is Jackie Orms? Jackie is the first African-American female cartoonist. She lived from 1911 to 1985, like super late 1985. And according to America Comes Alive, was the only nationally syndicated black woman cartoonist until the 1990s. She was a pioneer in the industry. So I'm going to start with some facts about her personal life. Because, like, there's a lot of things that were happening in her life, but there are a lot of things happening in the United States historically and socially at the same time. So it's not surprising that they overlap. She was happily married for 45 years, rubbed elbows with the political elite and movers and shakers of Black communities, served on the board of directors of the Du Sable Museum of African American History and Art, collected dolls, and had a 287-page file with the FBI, who suspected she was connected with the Communist Party. Wasn't everybody cool back then, though? That's fair. (laughs) Like, it wasn't hard to get connected with the Communist Party. Definitely if you were putting out media, and I really want to talk about that later. Okay. That's for the future takedown. There's a soapbox I could could get on. Uh, Yeah. No, I mean, that could be this episode. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Her comics were funny and groundbreaking, but also political. She even frequented a suspicious bookstore that may have had connections with other Communist Party members. She was interviewed a few times by the FBI, and her file was actually bigger than Jackie Robinson. by Like 100 pages or more. Just saying. Heck yeah. I mean, she knew she was on the radar, right? And I think she was like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I'm taking, I'm doing this. We're, we are leaning into this. I'm not going to break down the specific history because I'm not savvy enough. But there was an overlap between the expansion of political ideas, the civil rights movement, and the Black Panthers. Okay, There was a lot of focus on race rights movements during the 40s to 70s. And it was totally like the focus on from the FBI on people who were advocating for changes in rights in the civil rights movements. I mean, it was just all pure. The government is racist and they're trying to prevent that. That's it. Maybe 75% of American of United States history is the government just preventing the expansion of rights. I'm not educated enough to teach anybody else about it, 
but I have read a few books and I took a class that included lessons on McCarthyism. But like the United States government was spying on Martin Luther King Jr. And it's kind of known that the FBI was spying on citizens for disingenuous reasons. I don't know, read a history book or trust me, you do what you feel is right. But Jackie Orms, her notice started with a comic. I mean, kind of. I could go on a huge tirade about how media formalizes cultural and political opinions and how propaganda is totally a part of that and how the government has historically influenced things in our and other countries and and that Mrs. Orms being shadowed by the FBI because of her anti-racism comics should be a prime freaking example of that. But like, I won't go on the tirade maybe, like not right now. But if you don't believe me, just think about it. I mean, just sit on it. Okay, just think long and hard about who writes stories and what are considered acceptable and political and which aren't. It all started with a comic, Dixie to Harlem, which featured Torchy Brown. Torchy Brown was a young black woman from Mississippi who moves to New York. Many African Americans or black residents of the South were moving northward during the Great Migration, as Wikipedia calls it. And Torchy Brown was a relatable teen to black people also setting off to new areas. She was also smart, classy, and rebellious. I think one of the comics depicts her being confronted by a train that has a sign that points to whites only and then the other pointing to coloreds only and she pretends she can't read and goes onto the white side which I think is fucking hilarious. (laughs) That was the kind of stuff that Jackie was putting in her comic for Torchy. But her other characters of note, Patty Joe and Ginger, were really the characters that took off for Jackie. Patty Joe even became the first non-objectively racist doll available for black children in the United States. And this was in the 1940s. She had an upscale wardrobe, actually looked like a real child, quote unquote, and was sought after by white and black children. Terry Lee was the company making them and only let them sell for two years before dropping them as products, which, you know, fucking yikes, in my opinion. Patty Joe and Ginger was a one-panel comic gag that she began writing for the Pittsburgh Courier in 1945. Patty Joe is a younger sister who stands across from her older sister, Ginger, who is just hella classy and well-dressed and beautiful. Because they're younger characters, many folks dismiss them, but not the FBI, because this is definitely when Jackie was getting more political. And I also read that it's important to note that Patty Joe was the main voice for the Patty Joe and Ginger comics, which is important in that it highlighted how the voices of children matter. Patty Joe was the one making a lot of commentary, more so than Ginger in that comic. Jackie died on December 26, 1985. In 2014, she was inducted into the National Association of Black Journalists Hall of Fame and into the Will Eisner Hall of Fame as a judge's choice in 2018. I never read any of Jackie Orm's Orms's work. In fact, I don't think I heard of her until I searched for influential women comic creators in American history. Her works, mostly published in newspapers, were probably never fully collected or treated with the importance of actual comics. But there are books about her. Which you read one. I did. Yeah, it was targeted for first to fourth graders, <laughs> ages six to ten. Right in my demographic. Yeah. But it's got the super short, sweet title of Jackie Orms. <laughs> I felt very suave whenever I found it. I was like, heck yes. Like, I'm, I'm not going to take that away from you. But what <laughs> what do you think of the Jackie Orms background? First of all, it's for first through fourth graders. So it's got that really amazing before reading activities, after reading activities thing with vocabulary words and everything, which basically just immediately melted my heart because I mean, like, oh, learning, it makes me happy. Remember that whenever you used to have to like look at the heading and like figure out what the main idea of the next chapter was going to be? I think I zoned out in those lessons. When was the last time you read a book where the chapter heading meant anything? Like that even had chapter headings? Now, if I'm ever going to write a book, it's going to have chapter headings or it's going to have like really emo quotes at the start of each chapter because <laughs> I know who I am as a person. I have had a couple research books. I think when it all changed. Or when everything changed, whatever it's called, it was about the civil rights movement and feminist rights, women's rights. And then there was another one that was talking about gender selection and sex selection and how we do it culturally. And it was kind of trying to refute neurobiology that was like, men like cars. And the person was like, you shook a toy car in front of a baby and held a doll still. Of yeah. course they're going to look at the moving car. <laughs> like, 
yeah. the fuck. <laughs> so it was just, it was kind of a cool book. I loved her sarcasm in it, but it I think it had chapter titles. I feel like you're right. I feel like more yeah, academic tell me about stuff Jackie has Lawrence. it. Okay, so the table of contents oh, says, The New Girl in Town, Black Excellence, Activism on the Page, Timeline, and Glossary. Index, text-dependent questions, extension activity, and about the author and illustrator. So, it is an illustrated book, and it has, like, words that are highlighted, like, in bold text. It asks, have you ever attended an event where you were different from everyone else? Maybe you're the only person of your gender or race in the room. How did it make you feel? What things would you do to make everyone feel included? Jackie Orms made sure that African-Americans were included in comics. Her characters were bold, beautiful, and black. She was a leader in bold diversity. So it immediately just starts talking about Torchy Brown and about how she was the first black woman to be syndicated. Okay, so it focused on young Jackie. She made soap dolls, soap sculptures. And then by high school, she knew she wanted to work in art. (laughs) And then it kind of gives you a little box about the rise of black newspapers after World War II and about how that meant technically she was the first person to be sold coast to coast of her demographic. Serialized, I think, was the word that some people... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, No. She was the first black woman in America to have nationally syndicated comic strips. There it is. Because of the rise of black... Of African-American newspapers. And then it talks about the Patty Joe doll about how she made paper dolls to look like Torchy Brown so that like people who didn't have any money could also have them and dress them up in pretty clothes. And then it talks about how arthritis is why she retired. Mm-hmm. Inducted into the Black Journalist Hall of Fame in 2014. And in 2018, she got into the Eisner Hall of Fame. And then she's got, they've got a timeline. So their timeline, as they present to the children, is 1911. She's born Zelda Maven Jackson on uh, August 11th to William and Mary Brown Jackson in Monagalia, Pennsylvania. That's right. I said it right. Don't question. Um, <laughs> sure. Jackie. Yeah. And then in uh, 1929 and 1930, she works as an art director for the, yep, That Place High School Yearbook. And um, she graduated in 1930 <laughs> from that high school. And in 31, the day, the year after she graduated from high school, she married accountant Earl Orms and moved to Ohio. And they had a daughter who died at three years old, but they didn't say when that happened. They just had that like in between. 1936, she starts working for the Pittsburgh Courier as a reporter and writer. May 1st of next of that next year, 37, she did her first comic strip, Dixie to Harlem. In 1942, they moved to Chicago. In 1945, her comic Candy runs from March 24th to July 25th. Uh, 1946 is when Patty and Joe, uh, Patty, Joe, and Ginger begins running. And that one ran for 11 years. And then 1956, she retired due to rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, she died in 1985 at the age of 74. And then 2014, Black Journalist Hall of Fame. 2018, Eisner Hall of Fame. So that's the timeline that they gave the kids. And then the glossary that they have, you're going to think this is hilarious. Uh, The words are arthritis, caricatures, diversity, exaggerated, independent, proofreader, sculptures, indicated. (laughs) Those are the uh, chapter words that they were there. I know. That and is that amazing it, vocabulary to start introducing to that age group. Oh my god! And caricatures, I think, is pretty great because they do have like a sentence or two, which is really like low trauma ways to explain that exaggerated drawings and verbal descriptions that were used to to portray Black Americans during that time. You know, like to to tell the kids that that's not. It was different because she drew them realistically as opposed to the way other people were drawing them, but without, like, any pictures or anything that would actually, like, put that trauma onto the kids. I don't know. I just really like the way that this goes about it. And I want to read the about the author and about the illustrator because they have a whole series of this put out by Rourke Education Media for guided reading. So. About the author, J.P. Miller, growing up, J.P. Miller loved reading stories that she could become immersed in. As a writer, she enjoys doing the same 
for her readers. Through the gift of storytelling, she's able to bring little and well-known people and events in African-American history to life for young readers. She hopes that her stories will augment the classroom experience and inspire readers. JP lives in Metro Atlanta and is the author of the Careers in the U.S. Military and Black Stories Matter series. And the uh, illustrator, Amanda Cordy, lives in the UK and was born and bred in London. She has always loved to draw and has been doing so ever since she can remember. At the age of 14, she moved to Ghana and studied art in school. She later returned to the UK to study graphic design. Her artistic path deviated slightly when she studied classics at college. Over the years, in a bid to return to her artistic roots, Amanda has built a professional illustration portfolio and is now loving every bit of her illustration career. So they're both also African-American creators, which I thought was really cool. I was like, look at me. I found two for one or three for one, so to speak. I think it's really great that they were the ones who are also controlling. Not, Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to say controlling. They were controlling the narrative that was presented yes. in Jackie Orms' story and have the nuance being you know, victims of racism to restructure it. And sure, some people might be like, oh, but they're doing the emotional work. Yeah, but they're going to get fucking paid. Yeah, and they're doing this it This book for... is only $1.99 on Kindle, by the way. Like, this Jackie and... Orms book for kids, dollar and, and And they're doing it, I don't know, I feel like things like this are a labor of love as well. Like, they're doing it so that it exists um, for people that they love and care for. It's not really an emotional work for other people. It's not like they're doing it for white liberals. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're doing it for children. Yes. Who need to be aware of their culture. Yeah, cultural literacy. And that's not... And that's something that it's really great that they're able to do and then also to make money off of. Like, to make into a career. Talk about a labor of love. I don't know. I'm getting all motherly about it again, I guess. That M word. Bah. (sighs) motherly but it but it's really great when people within the communities can fill those needs for themselves like identify and fill those needs for themselves i've i've seen a little bit of discourse on twitter i follow a couple of asian north american authors who have talked about how opportunities for stories that they've that they want to tell from their history have been taken by people who are white, who were just writing about it because it seemed like it was cool and and exotic. So they were basically like filling the need for stories about that culture or set in that culture, taking the work away from people who are legitimately from that culture, who would be able to use it, you know, in a more authentic way, maybe. And about how that sucks because publishing is such a hard place to be anyway. And especially if you have a diverse background or story. So I don't know. It was just something that struck me was that that was a case where that didn't happen. (laughs) Now, if you like did any research on it, I would be interested to see if that was like black community, black led type situation where the publishing house was, you know, like a smaller publishing house that was basically just of the community for the community or if it was like able to find a place in a greater education publishing house type situation either way it's valid and awesome and actually i mean like in in some ways it's cooler whatever people can do that because like capitalism sucks so that's a way to like subvert it but also like i've seen a lot of arguments against self-publishing because like leaving the structure of traditional publishing houses puts all of the work and emotional toil on the artists resulting in like their burnout and responsibility being completely on them when traditionally there are infrastructures to help support artists. I don't know. The whole thing is just, ugh. everything sucks and we're all going to die and capitalism. But this at least is a feel-good story. I don't know. I don't know how I feel right now, Erin. You're talking about very complicated. I mean, some people might hear me call them complicated issues and be upset. Oh, because black and white. I think we think about them. Like yeah, morally. well, I think we think about them as complicated issues because they're... I, I, for me, at least, when I say they're complicated, it's very much the power structure, <laughs> you know, my mm-hmm. complacency and undoing a system and feeling just utterly futile in the face of it. Yeah, powerlessness. And, but then also, the, yeah, yeah. I also think that it's complicated because you're going to hear people from communities want both or both and more because not everybody's a monolith, right? Like. Mm-hmm. No one approach is going to solve the entire problem. 
about representation in media and every step is going to have its own barriers and every option is going to have its own challenges and its own con or like pros like it's going to have its own benefits to do it as a grassroots there's going to be its benefits going through major publishers there's no perfect answer like i'm going to choose to not get caught up in the minutia of that because that's not my expertise yeah but i am going to just celebrate the appearance of this media yes what makes me happy is whenever you like are clicking around or researching something or just happen to google something and then you discover like publishing houses have a library tab for libraries who are looking for information or collections to order in bulk that makes me happy hint hint nudge nudge librarians yeah but you know getting a peek behind the curtain a little bit to see like oh yeah no that would make sense for them to buy in bulk from publishing houses you know like buy whole collections of like educational storybooks that makes sense that they have them packaged yeah. that way and it's really cool and convenient and look there's this whole like process and organization and things that I've just sort of taken for granted my whole life I don't know but I'm also a book nerd so anything to do with the library gets me excited and That's you're gonna fair. be too- I mean this is appealing to you like <laughs> oh yeah I feel like my intro for Jackie was all over the place because I felt like reading about her experience just kind of set me off and her life just set me off in like various different paths like I just went on so many different rabbit holes because I like, feel like that's a she had that product connection. of the time you know like there was it was very turbulent back then there was a lot going on there was several different social grassroots movements of like challenging power structures and I think it's cool when people are just like at the pulse of that you know like I probably would have spun me out too, yeah. trying to figure out all of the things like communism and, you know, like race rights and, you know, like all, all of that stuff, like all of it just sort of going off at once, like a cultural explosion. How exciting would that have been? And thinking about that now, I probably would have hated actually existing during those times because we do live in some, some sort of a like cultural explosion. Like, but it's so, yeah, I don't know. It feels, le- it feels less real because everybody's so dissociative and the internet doesn't exist you know what i mean like (laughs) well it's also kind of romantic looking back on those decades because we have we being the united states have preached this end to it you know we believe Mm -hmm. that uh even though it's factually incorrect the history books want us to believe that the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. kind of shut the book. You know, he was unjustly murdered. And so we fixed the problems and it's all great. And that's where colorblindness comes in and how racism still persists because you think, oh, let's not change the norms and not rock the boat. You know, but the boat still needs to be rocked. Um, Anyway. You know, (laughs) like, I like, oh, here's some black and white photos of the before times children, but then the, but then the the spiritual martyr of the revolution got shot, and therefore everybody's saying kumbaya at the end. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Here's, and you're like, here's half a chapter. Here's half a chapter on they're the like, religions oh of God. the world, <laughs> and they barely exist because yeah, Christianity. Like, <laughs> and, you got uh, the right yeah. to vote and own property and <laughs> integrate. Schools are integrated. I mean, I know they're more segregated than they were pre-integration, but like, whatever. Sure, let's not talk about redlining and gerrymandering and like poll taxes and Jim Crow or the school to prison pipeline or the privatization of prisons. Nothing like that. No. Or prison labor, like that's another one, <laughs> yeah. like like actual yeah. active slavery. It, it yeah, it's still around. Let's not. We're not gonna. Racism's gone. No, no. But but that was one of those like rabbit holes I went on listening to her or reading her stuff. I was like, I just got so mad because people still talk about well, representation doesn't really matter. I'm like, the first non racist black doll existed in the 1940s like fuck off (laughs) yeah anyway it it sucks because it's longer ago than whenever i was first being taught about the 1940s 
by like several decades because I am 30, but you know, like it still wasn't that long ago. And yeah, <laughs> everybody shh, that doesn't exist. We're not almost 25 years into the new century. Shut up. Shut your face. Closer to <laughs> closer to 2040 than we are oh. in 1940. Nope. I that don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but when, um, I don't know, whenever I think about that kind of stuff, it's interesting to me how close to the surface it is. No wonder people are spooked by talking about diversity or like diversity in media and stuff, because whenever you look at media figures and the pushes for diversity and people who did that originally, they are so closely tied to like structural power systems. You know, maybe, you know, you might make a case that now it's a little bit further from that connected just because of how I feel like social media has made us like we can be activists quote-unquote platform activists but like finding those in-person means and those uh secret bookshops and stuff it feels a little bit more like there's the, the technology is kind of wedged itself in between us like even though more of us can talk to each other less seems to come of it in like boots on the ground type of honest there's a certain degree of there's a certain degree of ableism and classism that comes with accessing activism solely through online sources yeah like you have to have maintainable consistent and pretty much constant access to the internet which is a monetary hurdle (laughs) it's monetary it's um geographic as well yeah yeah as we know from your internet connection (laughs) (laughs) truth no offense to you it's fine (laughs) Uh, there are also areas of the united states that uh internet providers don't even exist in like they had to create their own kind of satellite network it's weird like so that's a thing um and even if you use just cellular data cellular providers don't aren't always robust in certain areas again going into geography and money you have to have a sense of literacy, computer and tech literacy, to access and use those resources. A certain level of skill being able to maintain and develop access to multiple sources. And pretty much no job. Like if you want to be a, a leader in that, it takes a dedication and a specific skill set that not everyone has or can develop because they're real world responsibilities. And there is, I think it's a little bit easier doing it in person rather than online because there are fewer barriers. Okay, there are different barriers for in-person activities versus online activities, much like there are very different benefits to online versus in-person. I don't want to discount that. But I just want people to be cognizant of the fact that if you're going to push for an online narrative, you're going to be working with a completely separate culture from those who are probably in power. And I also say this from experience of having supervisors who are close to my age, close enough and older enough than me that they would have been probably in high school or college when a lot of the stuff that I was accessing in middle school was really coming out. So you know what that was like, where we were at, like AOL, AIM, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, But had they maintained any connection to the dialogue, the ideas and movements that come out from online spaces wouldn't be completely foreign to them six or seven years after the fact. Does that make sense? There are a lot of ideas and changes that are being discussed in online forums that are eventually making real life play. They are eventually being moved online, but we really need to look at the fact of who is not accessing those thoughts. doesn't matter how much you tweet. doesn't matter how much you share a video or watch a video. Sure, news agencies are getting access to it and they're talking about it. But there's also a lack of connection with people in charge. People who are in charge, like, get super focused on what they do, you know? Mm-hmm. They, like, so there, like, has to be kind of an in-person presence that's showing them those things. And now that 
to make it also kind of a group effort, it's also their employees who should be like, yo, dude, have you heard about this idea? Maybe don't do that because that's racist. <laughs> like, you know, just that shit. But that's, yeah. that's the thought that I've been having lately. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean, that was a, like for the first half of what you were saying, I basically was thinking you were talking about the opposite about how people who are actually in the marginalized communities don't have access to that um those platforms so they can't be part of that dialogue to like air actual grievances that those marginalized communities might have or you know what might feel like more real and present um issues as opposed to like the ambiguous ethereal like power structures that are kind of harder to quantify or to really put your fingers on unless you have access to large amounts of data but then you flip the script on me halfway through and was like yeah but people who have all of the power and money are old as fuck and don't know how the internet works and don't know how the social media works and like every five years there's a new i mean like this is me adding to what you said but it does feel like every five years depending on how old you are like you have a whole new relationship with the internet and social media and media platforms or are on completely new media platforms like I can feel myself becoming part of a bubble that's my age group because you know it's something I've always been very interested in like in linguistics even whenever I was studying it my first thought was to talk about how it is absolutely an age and access thing this was even before it got to be super super insular but the way people use Facebook for example, you know, like not everybody's using the same set of cultural like sensitivities. So like you can tell mm-hmm. when a person's over 40 or close to 50, like my mom's age, they start commenting on things that their friends are tagged in that they don't even know the person who made the original post. And they think that's completely fine. Whereas me as a 30 year old find that cringy as fuck. Like, why would I, I don't know this person. I'm not friends with this person. My friend is tagged in it. The most I would do is like heart a cute picture of like a kid or that my friend, if it was exclusively my friend in that photo, photo, you know what I mean? As opposed to like some of the weirdest fuck shit that they end up actually doing. <laughs> um, like on Twitter earlier today, somebody was posting an, a tattoo picture, like a couple of like, oh, look at uh, the art that I just did. Snakes are really hard to draw, um, but like my hands are numb, but these are amazing. I'm really proud of them. And a lady who is like has to be in her 60s. She's like, not as cool as mine, though, and took a full face selfie with a filter of tats on her face. <laughs> And posted that on this artist's fucking tweet. And I was just like, oh my god. There is such a huge age gap. Such a huge age gap. So how are these 70 and 80 year old people who are the CEOs or the presidents or the Congress people, how are they even supposed to, like, your shit posting on Twitter is not going to reach them or even, like, they're not going to understand (laughs) it in a way that is useful to anyone, you know? (laughs) Like... Yeah. And to kind of ride that, I want to also point out that a lot of these barriers differ and are present across all ages and demographics. Because, like, the CEO, the people who are in charge of my agency are only about 10 to 15 years older than me. They're in their Mm -hmm. 40s. Which is still a different demographic. (laughs) It totally is. But, like, that's not 70 or 80, right? Right. And we see politicians who don't even realize that like videos are forever when they're on their internet, you know, <laughs> but like we also, the younger demographic focusing on things on conversations, memes and trends on TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's fucking foreign to me, but they're creating an ins- their own insular world. We're getting to the same point of like to push for change and to make change, you have to hit the widest variety of people. I think in newspapers, it was a lot easier to do that. Yeah. Because that was it. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, well, and, and so kind of, of course, kind of getting... Jackie was somebody who was monitored. Yeah. Because her sh- stuff was being seen across the country. And and getting back to Jackie a little bit, like, a huge reason I think that we can't get a hold of her art as easily is not only because of the publishing thing, of not being published, but also, like... Do any of the newspapers she was syndicated in still exist? Like, newspapers are folding or going online. And, like, 
like i don't or even have, know you know who knows how many have turned over yeah all of those old 90s movies where people were like researching the history of crime or like the true con- like julia roberts suspense thrillers and stuff like where they're at the library looking through like microfilm <laughs> like i don't know how to access Come. microfilm i don't know if there's a microfilm station within a hundred miles of me like how i would probably have to be in atlanta georgia to see some of these newspapers if you know like these old pieces of art like you somebody would have to spend their time yeah somebody would have to spend their time to go dig that up and then compile that some academic you know like that this is where this is where academia like comes in (laughs) as little as we like to like I don't know. I like to I like to dismiss a lot of it because I don't find it like I don't find a way in my brain that I could have made academia work for me in a way that would have paid my bills. So I get a little salty about it. But like, you know, like this is a real active like place for that. Same with like Wikipedia, like people who work within colleges and in libraries to make Wikipedia more robust that's like mm-hmm. real present jobs but you know like what are they getting paid and like are we going to be able to sustain that moving a few decades forward or are we going to start losing all of that too this is why i'm low energy when it comes to this kind of shit Aaron. i need a text because otherwise i'm cut adrift and i'm just like floating through all of the terrible things in this huge terrible like social spiral and <laughs> i have no foundation to put my feet on except for this chapter book that's for ages okay. Five through fifteen, which is inaccurate. I don't. Six to I don't 10. even. I was about to say I don't <laughs> even know how old you are when you're in fourth grade anymore, Aaron. I'm so old. So let me let me try to pull that in a little <laughs> bit to sum this all up. I guess because we derailed a lot. Uh, <laughs> representation matters, and you can tell it matters because Jackie was a focus. She was a a person of interest, the powers that be. And all she did was make a political cartoon that depicted a black women as attractive, smart, sassy, rebellious, and satirically addressed the social conversation at the time. Okay. That's why it matters. Cause it matters because people don't want it. And that's how, you know, you're pissing off the powers that be in probably a good way. I don't know. Two, <laughs> to make change and to push for activism, you have to be aware of the pros and cons of whatever method you're picking. And though online activism is good and it's easy, totally also have to do an in-person component because the people you might be wanting to reach might not be accessible through the online format. But the people you want to back you might not be accessible in person. So choose which terrain is your good terrain and then go through there. Three, collecting information in art and impactful media is also important for sustaining our knowledge and for knowing the narratives so we can change incorrect or hurtful narratives of the past, right? Mm-hmm. Like talking about Jackie and Jackie's importance in comics or giving her her spot in comics, not even just talking about it, but like giving it to her is important for changing how talk and include current black artists, artists and authors. Like how do we acknowledge that in our system as white people who are mostly reading and as white people who are editing (laughs) and hiring and things like that, you know, like, why fight it because it's always been there you know like and also why fight it because it's going to be there in the future like it's there just why fight it but it also i think is really great for people of now and of the future to look at jackie orm's work and go yep that's us being represented and i know that i can do it too because she did it and it's also important for us to sit down and use her like history use her story and say no this isn't a white man's gig like the truth is that there was a black woman who was making very prominent impactful work for just as long 
Yeah. When we talk about big things in human psyche or big changes in uh, social or power structures, I'm going to use a very physical example to try to get this point across because in my head, one is solid and the other one is harder for me to put into words. Uh, I live in the Midwest and we have a bunch of wind turbines being installed. I've been laying the foundation for them for a while. And, you know, like about 20 to 30 miles away from where I currently live, they've been up for god i don't even know how long now they're like right next to my house like if you drive to my house you're going to be driving by like five to ten of them and this seems like one goes up every other day because once they start they hit fast (laughs) and they spring up out of the ground and they have this weird ethereal quality to them they're just so large it's just such a large thing it's on a scale that your brain just is like oh yeah that's always been there so um my father-in-law actually had a conversation with Corey about how like okay so how are we going to remember what year these went up because you forget those kinds of things you forget where they are in space whenever big things like this happen so like you need to be able to reference in your verbal history in your tales your tribal knowledge like what what year it is using some sort of like timeline some sort of architecture in your life that matters to you that you're going to remember and I feel like artists like this fill that for us socially in a way that textbooks don't convey being able to look back at pieces of art movies or songs or actual literal paint on canvas those types of things really tie us to the timeline and keep us from feeling too adrift from the reality of you know like how long ago was 1940 It's actually, like, a big deal that physical media is disappearing in the way that it is because of this huge, like, shift to online content. Just, like, family photos are disappearing because DVDs and VHSs are are gone. So, like, all of those family videos that were on, like, actual tape, those pieces of tape are disintegrating, you know? Or if you had the old film, those negatives are no longer usable so you're not going to be able to retain those those images of your history you know it takes actual archive historic and um I don't know it felt very that felt like a very solid example for me because the thing that we're going to use to remember the windmills is the birth of my daughter because it the the first one went up the day she was born I don't know like it kind of stuck with me and it's made it's kind of changed my perspective about things like this just that casual comment from my father-in-law like we forget these things, so we need to figure out what, what to tie it to. Like, because, yeah, I already feel a little bit like the windmills have already been here forever. Just, like, we take major social wins for granted sometimes, you know, and it takes constant turbulence to really remind us of how important those wins are. You know, like, segregation didn't magically go away, but we felt like we won for some, you know, like, arbitrary reason or another and then now it's taking the 2020 census demographics and like i don't know i saw npr put out a map that kind of showed how segregated schools in communities actually are now and how you can see that it is actually worse i feel like when we talk about things like diversity that's kind of the gaping mall that my brain kind of slides into but art is important because it ties us to like what year did that actually happen what because that change is so big it feels like it's been around forever i'd like to get to the point where it actually has been around forever yeah no shit had an impact (laughs) (laughs) no this is i always feel like i leave our recording sessions needing to reflect a little bit more but our, definitely our conversation about online media and access and how the representation matters and the conversation matters. That's, I mean, I'll be honest, it literally just dawned on me that I can read an article that talks about a systemic issue or that proposes a resolution. And I could email my boss and be like, hey, did you, did you hear this? <laughs> like, <laughs> you think we should maybe reflect on this as an agency? You know, like I, I have the power to do that. Whether or not she or he reads it is maybe beyond my control. It's beyond my control, but not my influence. See, this is this is the shit that <laughs> I start thinking about when I read the line that the 1940s was the first time 
you know, representation in dolls happened in the United States. And that, ugh, that's, that's where my brain goes. Because if it's something as minor as dolls, how big does that go? You know and what's interesting? really fucking big. What's interesting about that is the first time, but then what was the gap between the first time and then the next time? Because I know that doll thing is something that people are still fighting really hard battles for, specifically. Exactly. And that kind of drives my point home. If we are having this ethical quandary over representation of a doll for children, a, a, a class of people, a group of people who we regularly dismiss what are what else are we talking about you know what else are we discriminating in and why are we pretending that we're not in some of those greater areas there are still people who just don't think racism exists and yeah that that just that's what gets me it just gets me and I'm glad we started doing these spotlights. Jackie Orms is a figure that those of us who are white should know about and should learn about. Um, actually, when I started doing research, I did see comments from black people in the comics community who were like talking about Torchy Brown. And I was like, I actually know who that is. <laughs> like, This is amazing. I can look at this and be like, I know why she is important. Torchy Brown is important to this person. Um, or I have an idea. I don't know. I'm not that person, but I can be like, I could see why the person is excited about Torchy Brown's existence, you know? Like, yeah. And I think it's so cool. All the other people we've talked about and learned about because we're in our looks at their history and our looks at their impact. We're also just seeing the blatant discrimination. I mean, she died in 1985 and wasn't, awarded anything until 2014 albeit the agency that awarded her acknowledgement didn't exist until 1990 the black journalist group but even her 2018 into the will eisner that that award had been around for years even like before it became the will eisner award so like you and i have talked about will eisner awards before and how they've neglected women representation in their hall of fame until the 2000s it's fine but like then again it took until 2018 until jackie was represented and she had a 287 page file with the fbi i mean for fuck's sake she was had to be doing some cool shit and i know that i need to turn around and start trying to get other people in on the bandwagon pushing against people who refuse representation and standing out against and hate groups and hate crimes. And you know what? Gotta make sure it's changed. I really appreciate about doing this podcast with you. We have conversations like this and you know, like we do research and watch videos and I don't know, it's made me more critical of the media, but it also has made me like research the history behind different kinds of bigotry <laughs> and you know, like, get the chance to pull out, like, actual social studies about, you know, power structures and and real data-driven harm for what they do to people. So as, like, an average Midwest white lady, whatever you try to speak up, I think we've all had this experience, or at least I've seen a lot of other people who had this experience where, you know, they push for diversity or they're like, oh, yeah, diversity is good. And then you get the ambiguous, like, why? You know, like some shit heel is just like, well, why? And then you're just sitting there flabbergasted and struck that you just don't have anything to pull out that's quantifiable because you don't have any experience directly with it. And you didn't do your research. You just were like, yeah, that sounds right. That feels right. That feels good. Like, just love and diversity for all. Like, uh, and then trying to, like, be articulate on the subject whenever some shitbag is like, oh, why? You know, just taking jobs from blah, 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 blah. Like, whatever bullshit, like, devil's advocate arguments they're I live in a society, too. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We live in a society. Yeah. <laughs> Jokering it. It makes me feel more powerful, like, walking in the world, knowing the history of it. You know? Like, the, like the way that yeah. that particularly fits and it also has opened my eyes to problematic bits of gotcha isms that i see online and stuff sometimes like the roe versus wade recirculation again 
because whenever I was in college and I feel like you were you were in school during the same time there was this whole wave of like bans and laws that specifically tried to police women's bodies in the Midwest in like Kansas and Missouri and like the surrounding states there were like 500 new laws in the course of like two years that were specifically trying to limit women's ability to like be in charge of their own bodies this was like this huge thing when I was in school during all of that like I remember saying and making arguments for like sterilization of men and stuff like and then yeah you know now I get old I, I'm older and I'm like oh Jesus like that is a terrible shitty thing for me to have just even joked about but I was really serious and I was mad you know like I was mad and I was serious and I didn't see the problem with it you know what I mean and and now I'm older and I've done more thinking and I've had more people who have done the emotional labor online to like write thought pieces and articles and stuff about like okay so let me spell out for you why that's problematic like you piece of very self-centered doo-doo <laughs> like let me explain to you how this is like marginalizing the group of people that are being most directly like targeted by those same self-same laws and stuff you know like it if you just stepped outside of your immediate hot take for a second and thought about like the real things that are going on here, you might have a more effective advocacy other than just making a haha gotcha you shit post online, you know? Totally. And uh, that kind of speaks to one of the pros of online activism and widespread activism. Because again, Jackie was coast to coast and I'm trying to loosely tie it to how she was published and the impact that she had because her word was out there from coast to coast. So that, I don't know, equates to the widespread nature of the internet. But you had access to thought pieces and to other ideas that came from outside your circle. Mm -hmm. Sure, they might have come from other white people. They might not have come from other white people. But you were exposed to people from different perspectives, different regions, different potential for a swath of different backgrounds and life experiences and that is where diversity is important and it's the same for the same shit heels who challenge you with why they are also on the internet <laughs> getting mm -hmm. exposed to a diverse amount of other shit heels who are reinforcing their bubble but that's neither here nor there i know next time or if i ever have a shit heel try to go why is diversity important I'll probably respond with, I don't know, why did people take so much energy into quelling diversity? Yeah. Why that's did a people, good... why have people spent so much time intentionally, targetedly creating systems that have prevented diversity? Maybe that's why it's important. Like, fuck off. Yeah. If you want, <laughs> if you want to give me a gotcha, I'm going to turn the gotcha around on you now. I feel like... I feel like that's another yeah. piece of power is being able to recognize fallacies and be like, let me stop you right there. Like, why would you, how would you answer that question on the reverse? Like, I don't have to prove shit to you, Mr. Devil's Advocate. I say Mr. because overwhelmingly yeah. they all have schlongs. <laughs> so I'm going to stand by that until yeah. somebody proves me wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, most of the gotchas people try to throw at me do come from people with he, him pronouns. And I am... So sorry for the he, him pronouns out there who aren't throwing gotchas at me. I respect you. I'm not saying you are a rarity or not the norm because I think there are more dudes who don't throw out the gotchas. I just think there's a lot of loud dudes who do throw out the gotchas. Also, uh, just a general call out for he, him pronouns that aren't doing the gotchas if you're in the presence of somebody trying to use a gotcha to intimidate or overpower the voice of somebody who doesn't have a schlong or is from a marginalized community uh or ethnicity or group maybe you should use your power to call out the person for being a shit heel for using gotchas if you are safe to do so just small ways that we can be advocates for each this other is, yeah just little things you don't even have to little really like engage today yeah, just be like, hey, why are you asking open-ended questions? Like, does it matter to you that much? Or whatever. You know, just small ways to derail the people seeking to derail a conversation. You know that 
scene in Finding Nemo where Dory's like, huh, 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 <laughs> like getting all <laughs> Marlin's face. That's the energy that you need to bring to people who are throwing gotchas. You need to go back up, up on them and be like, yeah, what you going to do, huh? Gotcha. Huh? <laughs> I'm another oh. white guy like you. What? What? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. I will strive to do that for the problem- problematic white feminists that are in my in my sphere. <laughs> if I if I run across them, yeah, same. <laughs> and I hope that somebody same-sies. calls me out if I'm displaying some problematic piece of behavior that I haven't realized or been informed is problematic yet. Just you know, let's all grow together, people. Love and love and faith and and love and laugh and dance like no one's watching or whatever nonsense bullshit Karen thing is on the wall today. Live, laugh, love. In our home, food is made with love. I don't know. I I don't know how that stuff works anymore. Do we finish these things anymore? Look, I don't want to at all pretend that Jackie Orms is some unknown person. Jackie Orms is known and appreciated by Black communities and anyone who may have been influenced by her works through their life. As a white woman, she is a new source of artistic power, creative thought, and satire that I have just been exposed to. And I loved reading about her and learning more about comics history and just activism in general. But if you would like to also continue to learn more about our, the variety of artists, authors, books, and prose books that <laughs> we've read and talked about, you can find us on Fireside, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Uh, or just Google we have us. A Facebook. Yeah, you could just do that. Just search girls.comics. We're Follow there. us on Twitter. We have a Discord as well. Girls Talk Comics and Community. Um, we're around. We're here. Listen to for more you. episodes if you'd like. We're here for you. For you. Message us. Hang out on our ride. This is this is our journey, and we're just glad you're here listening to it as well. Yeah. We love y'all. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> love you too. Okay. Bye. 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 Ever present booby face. Ever present booby oh, face. God. All right, let's see if I can get back. But sorry, that's just I'm not educated enough to teach anybody else. That's (laughs) fair, and I think that's fucking hilarious. Um, Ever present booby face is now something I might might mutter under my breath. Do it when I'm sad. Who knows? (laughs) Okay. All right. He's got a booby face. Is this one? She's like, "Uh, I'm getting mad.